the glory, all the honor, and all the praise on today. And God, for the spirit of heaviness that's resting in this place, God, I loose a garment of praise upon your people. And I thank you, God, for doing a work, God, that only you can do in your people and through your people, God. I thank you and I praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you will, open your Bibles to St. John, the second chapter. I believe God has a word today for his people. Hallelujah. St. John, the second chapter, and I'm again at verse 13, and I'm going to end at verse 17. St. John, the second chapter, beginning at verse 13, ending at verse 17. Hallelujah. Father, we thank, thank you for your word. And the word of God now reads, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold ox and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, a whip, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And the disciples remember that it was written, The zeal of thine house have eaten me up. You may be seated. I want to talk about the zeal for God has left the house of God. The zeal for God has left the house of God. I believe God is speaking a word to his people on the day. When we look at zeal, it means the love, the passion. It means the enthusiasm. It means the commitment to God has left the house of God. The love, the passion, the enthusiasm, the commitment of God for God has left the house of God. And we're seeing this every day when it comes to the things of God. And this was Jesus. And when Jesus went into the temple, and we know the temple is where God's presence was. It was you know, in the most holy place. This was the outer court that they were doing these things in. And when Jesus saw them doing these things, he was consumed with zeal, with passion, with love for his father. We should be the same way when it comes to God. No matter where we are, no matter who we are around, we should have that love. We should have that passion. We should have that enthusiasm. We should have that commitment towards God. And this is what Jesus was having because they were doing it in the temple. We are the temple of God. This is where the presence of God dwell. We should not let anything come in this temple from the outside to defile us, to, to dishonor God. We should be saying, no, you, you can't come here. This is not who I am. This is not what I'm about no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And when things have become new in your life, the old has passed, the new has come. We're supposed to be living a new life in Christ. And when we're living a new life in Christ, there should be zeal. There should be love. There should be commitment. There should be a passion. There should be an enthusiasm to do the things for God. I look at how, you know, some people do things in the church, but they really don't have an enthusiasm. They really don't have a love for what they do. They really don't have a passion. They don't have a commitment. They're saying, okay, I've done it to get recognized. It's not about that. 
See, this zeal that Jesus had, it consumed him. It took over him. It, the zeal that we have for God should consume us. It should take over us. This is why I have 22 years in ministry because the love of God, the commitment I have for God, the enthusiasm I have for God. This is why I'm lasting so long because it's outside of you. It's outside of family. It's outside of everything because the love that I have for him consumes me and it helps me to get through what I'm going through on a day-to-day basis. I don't know who I'm talking to. Because I know that when I was doing this teaching, I had to stop and I had to repent. And I said, God, if I am not enthusiastic enough, God, if my passion for you, if my love and commitment for you is not enough, God, please forgive me. Help me to get back on the right track because it's not about me. It's all about you. I should have more love and passion and commitment. I should get more excited about the things of God than the things of the world. Those things should not consume me. We got so many things that consume us. But Jesus was so in love. He honored his father. He wanted to see and he wanted to do what the father would have him to do. He always was excited about the things of God. And this is the thing that God was showing me when we look at um, zeal, meaning the love that we have for God. The Bible tells us in Matthew twenty-two you're going to do some more flipping. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. it said, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. God wants us to love him with everything that's within us, our heart, our soul, our mind, our very being. And the only way we can do that is according to 1 John 4, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. When we know how much God love us, When we know how he laid his life down for us and we weren't even worthy for him to do that. We know the scripture that said, for God so loved the world. That means for God so loved me. He loved me so much. He dearly prized me so much that God, he loved me that he didn't want me to die. He wanted me to live. He showed his love. He proved his love. He demonstrated his love even when I was yet a sinner. He died for me. That's love. And the more I get to know his love, the more I can love him the way he loves me. See, that takes spending time with God, getting to know the love of God. So when things are happening around you because you love God so much and know that God loves you, you are consumed with that passion. You consume with that love. You get excited and your commitment for God is just overwhelming. This is how it should be in the body of Christ. When we know how much God loved us, the same thing that Jesus done when he walked in the temple and he saw them disrespecting, not honoring God, he overthrew everything that was in that temple. He's living in you. You're his temple. So anything that come in offense, if offense come in, you should overthrow it. If greed come in, you should overthrow it. If jealousy come in, you should overthrow it. If offense come in, you should overthrow it. If unforgiveness come in, you should overthrow it. Why? Because you know him and you know his love. You cannot come in this temple. This is not where you belong. So we have to overthrow these things. We have to get rid of these things. And don't say you don't know you have them. People know when they're offended. People know when they're holding grudges. 
People know when they're holding unforgiveness and jealousy and envy and strife. You know all of these things. You know when you're hating your brother, when the word of God tells you not to hate your brother, but love your brother. Why? Because God loves you. You know these things. So when these things come in your temple, you should overthrow them. You should get a whip out and whip them. The whip is the word of God. You should let the enemy know you don't have place here. You don't have no right here. The love of God is consuming me so much. You can't stay here. When God's love consume you, you don't treat people wrong because they treat you wrong. You don't cuss people out because they cuss you out. You don't go visit, don't go visit people because they don't go visit you. When the love of God consumes you, it compels you. You can't just stay in the same place when the love of God is in you. He put his love in us. His love is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Ghost. So we should love just like he loved. That's an unconditional love. And everything he hate, we should hate. Everything he like, we should like. And this is the problem with the church. The zeal of God, the passion for God, the love for God, the excitement for God, the commitment for God have left the house of God. How do I know? Because we deal with too much offense. We deal with too much strife. We deal with too much division. We deal with too much unforgiveness. We deal with too much self. Because when you spend time with God, you can love like you never loved before. And your words don't have to be sharp. Your words don't have to cut people. Yeah, there is boldness, but there's a way that you come at people. You speak truth in love. You never come at a person the way they come at you. You can be bold, but there's a way to be bold. Holy Ghost boldness don't hurt nobody. Holy no boast goldness get to the root of what's going on with somebody, but it don't leave them hurt. It don't leave them offended. This is the love of God. This is the zeal that we should have for God. We should love others just like he loved us. But if you don't know how he loved you, you ain't going to be able to love nobody else. You can't even love yourself. So Jesus knew. It says that, I like this, the zeal of thine house have eaten me up. It consumed Jesus. It overtook Jesus. Jesus couldn't take what was going on in the temple. I want to ask you, how do you lay down with offense? How do you lay down with grudges? How do you lay down with grief? How do you lay down with unforgiveness? Come on, the love of God that's in you. The passion that you have for God, it should consume all that. We shouldn't be able to lay down at night with hatred in our heart. We should not be able to lay down at night, especially with our mate, and not apologize. Come on, because the love of God don't do that. The love of God don't lay down with bitterness. No, because you're the temple of God. This is where God dwells. And then we look at, first of all, when we get to know the love of God, go with me to Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5. I'm reading out the expanded Bible, Revelations 2, verse 4 and 5. But I have this against you. He's talking to the church. You have left, abandoned the love you had in the beginning or your first love. So remember, consider where you were before. You fell, how far you have fallen. Change your hearts, repent, and do what the works you did at first. If you do not change, repent. 
I will come to you and will take away your lampstand from its place. So God is telling this church, the love you had for me, I was your first love. Basically, you let other things come in and take you away from your first love. And that's what we do. We let other things come in and take us away from him. We have to repent. When God is bringing this to the house of God, he's not bringing it to me just because somebody said something to me. I don't work like that. Whatever God give me, this is what I bring to the house of God. And he bring it on time because he know what's in the house. He know what's happening amongst us. God is such a loving God. God don't let his children get away with nothing. God lets you know, I always know what's going on with you. God said, I'm hastening my word. I'm watching over my word to perform it. I know what you do even when you think I don't know what you're doing. And what God does is he entrusts somebody with what you're doing to bring it out to you to let you know, I see you. God sees, he knows, he's all-knowing, he's everywhere, he's all-powerful. God knows everything that's going on. We cannot hide from God. It reminds me of Jonah when God was sending him out to speak to Nineveh. Jonah made up his mind, I'm not speaking to Nineveh. And the reason why he did not want to speak to Nineveh, because he knew God was a merciful God. He knew he was a loving God and he knew that once he went into Nineveh and he began to preach to them and tell them what was going on in Nineveh, they were going to have a change of heart, a change of mind. So he was running from God. I'm not going to open my mouth to Nineveh. But guess what? When he went to run from God, he got on the boat and the storm, God caused the storm to come. And look what was happening in the midst of the boat. The people didn't know what was going on. They were calling on their God, but they knew, they said, somebody in this boat that's causing us harm. So they began to cast lots. The lots fell on Jonah. And Jonah began to let them know, yeah, it's me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm the one running from God. And the one that was running for God had the audacity to go to sleep. We got a lot of people in here today that's running from God, and you have the audacity to go to sleep and act like nothing is going on, and you know what's going on. But God will remind us by allowing things to happen in our lives. Why? Because we let our guards down. We left a door open to sin. So he laid there. But when they told him what was going on, he said, I'll tell you how to solve your problem. Throw me overboard. Did he think they wasn't? Did he think they were not going to throw him overboard to save their life? Oh, you good as gone. So they threw him overboard. But that wasn't the end of it. Even when he got in the whale's belly and he saw how it was in the belly of that whale, he began to call on God. He began to repent to God. So we know that the whale, he vomited him up. He threw him up. And, and, and when he was out of that whale, now he ready to go to Nineveh. But he went to Nineveh. He preached. And the very thing he told God that he knew he was going to do, God did it. So now he's pouting. Now he's sitting up there ready to die. And God told him, even when the the gourd, the shade that he had left him, God said, do you think that I was going to let Nineveh sit there and die? He said, the same way you felt, this is how I feel about Nineveh. So God is a loving God. He don't want us to die in our mess. This is why God is bringing things to the house of God, to the church of God. He don't want you to die in your mess. He wants you to know what's going on and he's allowing you to get it right. But some of us hear the word of God and still don't want to get it right. We still want to live the way we live because we put more faith in other things than we put it in God. 
So we got to know the love of God. When we know the love of God, God's love will be able to consume us and we won't allow things to go on in our lives. So then there's another thing. We got to be excited when it comes to the things of God. What I have learned is people don't get excited until it's about them. People don't get excited until something new pop up in their lives. If something new don't pop up in your life or if something's not happening in the church that's new to you, that's going to make you be seen, be heard, be attached to, you don't want no part of it. You don't have no enthusiasm. You don't have no excitement about it because it's the same old, same old. But let me tell you, the word don't change. Every day you're supposed to be having an excitement when it comes to the word. You're supposed to be so excited. You're supposed to be so consumed. You're supposed to be so ready to say, God, speak to your servant. Your servant, hear me. God, I'm excited to get up this morning to hear what you got to say to me. That excitement is consuming me. Come on, how many of us are excited to pop up and say, here I am, Lord, speak. How many are excited to get up and just give him some thanksgiving, to give him some praise, to go into worship? How many are so excited knowing this is the day that you have made? I will, I shall rejoice and be glad in it, God. How many has an enthusiasm to know I still have breath in my body to praise the Lord? Because he said everything that has breath, praise ye the Lord. How many is excited to come into fellowship, to hear what God has to say? How many... Or how many dread to come to church just saying, well, I'm here. See, when you get excited about God, when you hear, I'm telling you, y'all, it just gives me joy to wake up in the morning and just sit before him and to be in his presence. I don't take it lightly because I say, God, you bought me off this job, the job I had for such a time as this. God, I'm not going to waste not one minute, not one second, not one hour to be before you to say, speak, Lord. What do you want to say, God? What do you want to do? What do you have for your people? God, I'm so excited to be before you today. Come on, that should be an excitement. That shouldn't be a dread. Oh, let me just read my word this morning. Let's see what God got to say. There should be an excitement when it comes to the things of God. Why? Because you remembering how much he loved you. You remembering what he done for you when you didn't deserve what he done for you. So when we look at that excitement, go to me with me to Acts 18.25. Acts 18.25. And this is dealing with Apollos. He had been taught about the way of the Lord and was always very excited, fervent in the spirit when he spoke and taught the truth, accurately the things about Jesus. But the only baptism Apollos knew about was the baptism that John the Baptist taught, the baptism of repentance before the ministry of Jesus began. So Apollos, he was so excited He has so much enthusiasm when it came to the word of God. And I guess some people wonder, now it's been 22 years since I've been in ministry, been teaching and preaching the word of God. It excites me. I I really get a joy out of being behind the pulpit. Why? Because this is where God put me. So this is what brings me to this pulpit on Tuesdays, on Sundays, or wherever God want to take me. 
Why? Because I'm excited about this. Some people say, oh, you always the one behind the pulpit. Because I'm excited. Because this is where God has me. Just like you wake up every day and you go to your job. You're supposed to be excited about that job. You're supposed to have an enthusiasm about that job. Why do you want God to give you another and you ain't excited about the one you have? You don't have no zeal. You don't have no passion. You don't have no commitment for the one that you have. And now you want another? God don't work like that. God wants you to be excited because you know him. He wants you to have some joy because you know him. He gave you the fruit of the spirit that when your job ain't doing like you want him to do, you can still have some joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can still have some, have some peace. You can still have some love, some meekness, some gentleness, some faithfulness, some long suffering. Why? Because you have the fruit. So there should always be an excitement on the job. It ain't about your money. Y'all got to understand when you have an enthusiasm for God and an excitement for God, you ain't looking to money. You're looking to him, the often finisher of your faith, because the more money you get, the more you got to have. And the more you use and then the more debt you get in. So we should have an excitement when it comes to the things of God. Apollos had an excitement even though he was teaching what he was taught dealing with John the Baptist. It wasn't everything that needed to be taught, but he was excited about what he learned. Come on, y'all. We should have an excitement in Miracle Temple about what you're learning. When you have an excitement, you can decree and declare to people, this is what I'm being taught from the word of God. This is what God is doing in our house. This is how God is doing it in our house. Where are you having these big this, that, that, and other? No, we're getting taught the word of God, and that's enough for me. When you're getting taught the word of life, that should be enough for you. You shouldn't be doing what everybody else is doing because they're doing it unto man and not unto God. Well, why we ain't doing what other churches is doing? Because that's not the, what God wants to be done. When you look at other people, you miss out on what God is doing. Comparing yourself amongst yourself, it is not wise. You got to be whom God wants you to be, and you got to be excited about that. Why? Because you live in the life that God wants you to live. Because once you have all of this stuff, and it's over with, what's gone? Money. And you ain't excited no more. How many know that you get an excitement when your money is right? How many get excited? How many, come on, get excited when you look in the bank and you see, oh, you get excited and you, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If something happened, I got something to fall back on. Thank you, Lord. Then when it get little and little, you're like, oh, Lord. Oh, God. Where's the excitement? Or when somebody's asking for it and that's all you got left, where's the excitement? Where's the enthusiasm? Where's all that stuff you had before when it looked like you had a lot of money in the bank? Now you ain't got a lot of money in the bank. You got a $100 bill and they want that. So there's no excitement no more. We should always be excited. Why? Because we know that he shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So I'm going to get excited with nothing in the bank. Why? Because he's my supplier. 
He know what I need because I'm doing everything that he's requiring me to do. God has already blessed me with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He told me I'm going to be blessed in the city. I'm going to be blessed in the field. I'm going to be blessed in the fruit of my womb. My hand's going to be blessed. Everything I touch is going to be blessed and it's not going to have any sorrow to it. So I should be what? Y'all don't sound excited. You know why y'all don't, some of you don't sound excited? Because some of you don't, you know what I'm talking about. See, when you know what a person is talking about, when you've been with somebody, come on, y'all. I don't know about y'all. And y'all dating, you know, you dated different people. And when you got to know them, you got excited because you knew you were going on a date. Oh, let's go to the movies. Oh, you got so excited. You weren't angry no more for a little bit. Because you was going to do something. There was some excitement in what you were doing, right? So when it comes to the word, there should be an excitement, y'all. The zeal of God has left the house of God. People not getting excited no more when it comes to the word. Not unless you're adding something to it. Not unless you're offering something that people want. That's when they get excited. That's when they want to show up in the house of God. When they figure it's about them. They make it all about them. So Apollos was very excited when it came to the word of God. Get excited. Stir yourself up. Flesh don't profit you anything. The spirit is what quicken. The flesh profit you nothing. He said the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So we should get excited when we get into the word of life because it's bringing us life. And we know that that life that he's given us is going to be health to all our flesh. It's medicine to all our flesh. So when we go open the word, we should eat that word because it's bringing us life. The next thing that we need to have is a commitment. When it comes to the word of God, that means we're entrusting God with everything that we have. God, I'm committed to you. And that's what zeal is. It's being committed to God. You entrust in God with everything that you have. In 2 Timothy 1.12, it says, I'm suffering now because I tell the good news for this reason. But I'm not ashamed because I know the one in whom I believe. Put my trust in faith. Look at what Paul was saying. He said, I'm suffering now because I'm telling the good news. See, when you're telling the good news, when you're going about telling people about Jesus, telling them about the kingdom of God, guess what? People are going to hate you. You're going to go through some things. But this is what he was saying, because I know the one in whom I believe. You got to know the one in whom you believe, which is Jesus Christ, which is God Almighty. When you know him, when you have that relationship, when you have that fellowship, when you have that connection with him, it don't matter what people say or how they say it. Because you know him. We have to know him, not knowing about him. We have to become so acquainted with him that no matter what comes, it does not turn us away from him. He said, and I'm sure, convinced, confident, he's able to protect, to guard, to keep safe what he has trusted me with or I have entrusted him with. He said, until that day, the final judgment and reward. So Paul knew I can trust him because I know that he's going to protect me. He's going to guard all that belongs to me, what he has entrusted with me. So that's where God wants us to be. 
He wants us to be so committed to him that whatever he put in our hands, whatever he has trusted us with, we should know that it's going to be fulfilled. Why? Because God is hastening his word. He's hastening his word to perform it. He's watching over his word to perform it. So God wants us to be committed to him and not being committed to other things. What are some of the things that you're more committed to than you're committed to God? Go with me to 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9. This is Asa. And we know God was with Asa through all of Asa battles, through all the things that the wards that he was going through as being king, God was with him. But then um, the king of Israel, I believe, was coming up against Asa. And 2 Chronicles 16, 9, listen what the Lord says. The Lord searches, the eyes of the Lord search all throughout the earth for people who have given themselves completely to him, whose hearts are completely his, committed to him. He wants to strengthen them. Asa, you did a foolish thing, so from now on you would have wars. See, what Asa did, he was trusting God in the beginning. And God was um, with him with winning those wars. But all of a sudden, he trusted someone else to fight the battle for him. So he lost that commitment for God. How many of us trust God in the beginning, but when seem like when things get heated up, then we turn from God and we turn to other things because we don't want to wait on the Lord. See, Asa didn't want to wait on the Lord. So he had to be reminded, you're not committed to him no more. You have not put your trust in him. You have lost trust for God. Some of us have lost trust for God because when things get tough, we pull out. We think God is not moving. We think God is not going to do what he says he's going to do. But God puts us through testing. He will test us to see if we're going to stand even when it looks like we cannot stand. God will give you what you need to stand. We have to understand that when you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Once you put your hand to that plow, you got to keep looking straight forward. You have to keep looking to the author and finisher of your faith. Because when you look back, just like Lot's wife, God was blowing up Sodom and Gomorrah. But she looked back. Why? Because that's where she wanted to be. That's why she was looking back. We got to keep looking forward to what God is doing in our lives. Don't let people hinder you. Don't let people take you off the path that you need to be on for Jesus. If you got some hindrance in your life, you need to get rid of it. If you got somebody in your life that's taking your excitement, that's taking your love, your passion, your commitment from God, you got to let go of them. And by the way, you can't get rid of that husband or wife. (laughs) So what you got to do, you got to continue to pray your way through it. You got to consider to uh, seek the Lord while he can be found. Now, you done married that man. You done married that woman. When people told you that's not the one, but you didn't want to listen. So now you got to stick it out because God hates divorce. And the Bible says, for some reason, God want me to bring this out. The sanctified woman will sanctify that husband. The sanctified man will sanctify that wife. And that makes the children sanctified, set apart. But if either one of them choose to leave, the one that is not saved, you let them leave. That's the Bible. But you just don't give up because you ain't feeling right today. Or because they said something to you that they should not have said. Come on, where's your zeal for God? Where's your love? Where is your compassion? Where is all of these things that you're supposed to have for God that's supposed to consume you to let that other person know, no, you're not getting over on me today. 
This is not going to happen today. I'm not going to hold this in my heart against you because you cutting the food. I'm not doing anything until the Lord tell me to do it. And he haven't told me yet. So this is why we have to be so committed to God. We have to make that commitment. You know when that commitment come in? The day we say I do. The day that we say that we have accepted him as our Lord and as our Savior. Because we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth. See, it's a heart change. Salvation is of the heart, y'all. When you truly accept God with your heart, guess what? Nobody don't have to tell you to quit doing nothing. You're going to quit it on your own. Is things going to come to slap you in your face dealing with the things you quit? Yes, they are. But you're not going to allow them to do that no more because you know your heart has changed towards God. You don't want the same things no more. You don't want to go the same places no more. You're not talking like you used to talk. Yes, a cuss word will come out. But you say, oh, forgive me. That should not have happened. So you're allowing yourself to be transformed and changed through the word of God by renewing your mind. So you don't have to be conformed to this world. So the more you spend time with God, the more you're going to get consumed with him. The more you get to know him. So we see here. In 2 Chronicles, what happened to Asa? Asa was looking at being afraid of losing a war. So he turned to somebody else besides God. Go with me to Luke 14, 26 through 27. Luke 14, 26 through 27. This is what the Bible is saying. If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, and brethren, and sisters... Yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Let me read that again. This hate does not mean literally hate. That means putting him first. God got to be above your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your children. He got to be above. He got to be first in your life. If God cannot be first in your life, you cannot be his disciple. That means you cannot be a learner and follower of Christ because you're not putting him first. He has to be first, y'all. The day you said, I do, that means you left everything else and everybody. That means he's first in my life. He comes first and foremost. Nobody is before God. Nobody, nothing is before God. And if you put these people before God, you can't be a follower. You can't be a true disciple of him. I don't care how much you love your husband, your parents, or whoever you're supposed to love God more. That's the word. God's supposed to be first. He want, why is God supposed to be first in your life? Because when everything else fails, God is first. God is going to always be there. When you're putting a person before you putting God, that means you're loving that person more than you love God. That means that you don't even know the love of God. When you get to know the love of God, Y'all, when I truly got to know the love of God, guess what? My husband wasn't first no more. He wasn't first. I mean, I was doing everything with my husband. He go to a race, I go to a race. Whatever he did, I did. But when I start loving Jesus, go. Go about your business. Sometimes I wouldn't even check on him. He said, you ain't checked on me. Oh, I didn't. I'm so sorry. Because I was getting my mind where it need to be. I was getting myself in a place with God where I needed to be. And some people say, that's so cold. No, that's the word. And that's how it's supposed to be. You put no man, you put no woman before you put God. And if you put God first, everything in your household is going to work out. 
That's why he has to be first. Because when the husband can't do like you want him to do, God already done it. When the wife can't do like you want her to do, God has already done it. But when you put a man and a woman before God, that's who your God is. That's the one that you think that can do everything for you outside of God. They are not God. I learned that. When I went through depression, I thought my husband was everything. And see, God knows what we hold on to so dear. And God will test us and try us to see if we're going to let that go. So when I went through that depression, I thought my husband could be the one to heal me, y'all. I thought if he held me, I thought if he gave me all the money in the world, I would be fine. None of that worked. He told me to go in the mall, shop, get whatever you want. I said, if you gave me a million dollars, it wouldn't touch this. That's when he knew something is not right because I, I love the shop. So he knew something is not right. It seemed like everywhere I went to get satisfaction did not work, y'all. I said, I'll get this, and if I get this, I'll feel better. Y'all, I was selling Mary Kay. I had sewing machines. I had exercise equipment. I had maxed out credit cards. None of that worked for me. But guess what? We had piles of debt. He let me do it to make me happy. And only thing it did was put us in debt and got us further behind. But one day, when I called on Jesus... And when I really called on him, y'all, with my whole heart, that day seemed like it got worse than better. Because the enemy know, uh-oh, she for real now. Because, see, I went into salvation thinking that when I got saved, all the depression would leave. Didn't leave, y'all, it got worse. But one thing I didn't do, I didn't give up on salvation. I didn't give up on God. I said, God... You're the creator and you're the maker of all things. God, you're the one that can heal. You're the one that can deliver. And God, if you don't do this, it can't be done. So God, I'm holding on to you. Y'all, I had a zeal that consumed me. And I didn't understand what that was. I had a love for God that really consumed me, that held me, that kept me together when I thought I wasn't going to make it from day to day. When I thought that God had left me, he was always there for me. And the closer I got to God, everything else didn't mean as much to me as it did before. Not that I didn't love my husband and love my family, but I knew that I needed God more than I ever needed him before. And I stuck by God and God stuck by me, y'all. And the more I got into my word and the more I found out about him, it was like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Seemed like the fire got seven times as hot. Because the enemy was trying to get me to let go of what I was finding out in him. I didn't let go. I held on. And by me holding on, it didn't only help me, but it helped others. It helped them come through some things that they thought they couldn't get through. I said, if God brought me out, he's already brought you out. See, I had to forget about me. And this is why he said, if any man come to me. He got to hate his father, his mother, his sister, his brother. That means that you got to put him above them. Some of us are not there yet. Some of us are not there yet. We haven't put Christ first and foremost in our lives. And that's what he wants. And then he goes on to say, and his own life, he, he cannot be my disciple. That means that you got to lose interest in you. It ain't about you no more. This is why Paul says, and I say it all the time, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who died for me. Y'all, that had become real in my life. That very scripture that I have been quoting now for, what, 22 years, every time I get behind this pulpit, it reminds me, Amanda, it ain't about you. Even when I want to have a temple tent, it ain't about you. It's about the new life that's in you. You got to think about who you are now that you and me. When you want to get an attitude, you got to think, no, I don't get attitudes like that. See, the things that he do, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. You've been crucified. So you don't uh, adapt to who you were. You adapt to who you are in him. Some of us are adapting to who we used to be. That's not who you are now that you're in him. So we see here, he said, you got to lose sight of all of that. And verse 27 says, and whosoever do not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. See, dealing with the cross, that's dealing with being crucified. That deals with you going through some suffering. That deals with you going through some things, y'all, you don't want to go through in ministry. That deals with when you don't want to do certain things you're asked to do. Crucify that flesh. Take up your cross. Be his disciple. Follow him. It's not about you. It's all about him. Now let's talk about why do we like zeal? Why do we like zeal when it comes from God? It's because we want acceptance from others. We want to be accepted by others. That's why we like zeal. When I had, um, when I was working on the job, I remember I was so excited about that job. I had that passion, the love for that job. I was a director. I was given a chance to prove that I could do the job. And I ended up buying a computer at home, and I would do things at, at home, and I would make sure my stuff was right on point because I didn't want to be a failure. Now, during that time, I was saved. I was serving the Lord, but I was looking at man instead of looking at God. So I remember one lady, she came in the office and she began to talk to me. And she said, Amanda, she said, you have really turned some things around. She said, but I'm afraid that these people don't give you the credit that you need to have. And you're going to lose all your enthusiasm. You're going to lose your passion for what you have for this position. And let me tell you, that day did come. Seemed like the more I did, the less it seemed like that I done. But... I should not have lost my enthusiasm because of man. Because the Bible says, listen at Colossians 3, 23 and 24. In all the work you are doing, work the best you can. Do it heartily and soul from the soul. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord. Not for people. Remember, knowing that you will receive from the Lord the reward which he promised to his people. Of an inheritance. You are serving the Lord Christ. So see my problem was. I was trying to get something from man. But what I supposed to have been doing. Is doing it unto the Lord. Not unto man. Where am I going? In ministry. Sometimes you may not see me give you a high five. Or my husband give you a high five. Or somebody that's um, over you. In the church giving you a high five. You're not doing it unto me. You're not doing it unto them. You're doing it unto the Lord. And when you know you're doing it unto the Lord, you're supposed to have an excitement. You're supposed to be committed. You're supposed to have a passion. 
You're supposed to have a love in doing it. You don't wait for me. You don't wait for nobody to high five you every Sunday, every Tuesday, or call you. You're supposed to be so in love with God. It don't matter if nobody say nothing to you because you're doing it unto God and you're not doing it unto man. This is why the church is so messed up. You wait on pastors, you wait on people that have titles to tell you, good job, way to go. Now you're ready to get something else done. But when you don't hear nothing else, I ain't doing nothing. I ain't paying my tithes anymore. I ain't appreciate it. Come on, y'all. Who you serving? So I lost my enthusiasm on the job. I didn't care no more because I wasn't getting recognized. But see, God had to check me and let me know, who were you doing it for? Were you doing it hardly unto me or unto man? Some of y'all are on jobs. I'm getting back to this. And the job that you're doing it, you're doing it half-heartedly because you're tired of man. But when you're doing something for the Lord, you ain't looking to man, you're looking to God. And you're saying, God, what I'm doing, I'm not looking to get no reward from them. God, I'm looking to you. So when we have a mindset that way, when we're going in and out these jobs, guess what? Even when they praise you, you ain't getting excited. Because you know it was God who gave you what you needed to complete the task. Come on, God has put things in our hands, y'all. He's given us talents and giftings. And we have hidden these talents, these giftings, because guess what? We're feeling like I'm tired of doing the same thing. I'm just tired. But let me tell you something. When you give it to God and you commit yourself to God, I want to talk to the ones that beauticians. I want to talk to the ones that do um, hair, do nails, do whatever you do, whatever um, job that you have, truck drivers, whatever it is. Before you begin your job, you should say, God, I'm committing this to you. I'm rolling this over to you. God, show me new hairstyles. God, show me. You have blessed the works of my hands. Show me something that nobody know anything about, God, so you can get the glory. When you get in the truck and you get ready to drive the truck, God, I commit this truck unto you. God, I commit my way unto you, and you shall bring it to pass because I trust you. When you're sitting in the office at the desk, God, I commit this paperwork to you. I commit everything that my hands going to touch to you because you're going to be glorified on this job and every day that you do this and you do it unto the Lord I don't care what they do it won't work how can I say that because y'all when I was on my job and I got a witness over there in the corner when I got demoted on that job and I had to sit a month I said Lord now you could have put me anywhere But you're going to put me in the pit with these lions to tear me to pieces. And I've done no wrong to these people. But Lord, now that you have me here, I remember walking in the office in the midst of my enemies. And I looked up at the enemy that wanted me out of my position. And I said, come on, we're going to be the best billers. Now look, y'all, I was a director. They didn't make me supervisor. They put me low. How low can you go? God was putting me at the bottom to bring me back up to the top. And I'm thinking that, oh, I'm going back in my position. It won't be long. But it wasn't the position God wanted me to have. God was getting me ready for this pulpit. Some of y'all want the pulpit, but you ain't ready because you don't want to do what you're supposed to do on your job. 
You don't want to show up on time. You always mumbling and complaining, but you want to teach somebody something. How can you teach somebody something when you ain't learned nothing yet? Mm. You want to tell people how good God is, but you at your desk pouting. That's what I did. Oh, y'all, I was the pastor. I was sitting there and they asked me to do something. I'm like, mm. and in my heart, I'm like, get out of my face before I slap you. Come on, I'm being real. But I'm smiling, smiling my way through. God is still good. So the day I appeared back on that job, y'all, God is so good. He will give you a word from him. Go with me to Isaiah 55. God will give you a word that even the enemy won't be able to reply. God will prepare you for where he's taking you. Don't leave the wrong way. Whoever's trying to leave a job, do not leave the wrong way. In Isaiah 55, beginning at verse 11, he says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whether to I send it. Why am I saying that verse first? Because God let me know I have given you a word. And that word is going to accomplish. That word is going to prosper. Guess what the word was? For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. And instead of the bearer shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. That was my word. When God sent me back in that office, that was the word he gave me. And I went in that office with some joy. I went in that office ready to do it unto the Lord. And I told the girl, I said, come on, we're going to get this billing done. And it's going to be, I don't even know how I put it. But when I sat down to do the billing, y'all, that billing was stacked so high where that girl was just sitting there twiddling her thumbs. And as I sat there and she was over me, looking at me, she wasn't speaking, wasn't saying a word. I heard her say, now you go through what I got, went through. Just talking about me. Oh, it cut me like a knife. And then they told me, they said, Jennifer ain't even going to be able to help you. Jennifer, we're going to work you so hard, she won't even be able to help you. I went home, y'all, with tendonitis. Is that what they're calling you? Went home, couldn't even move my hands all day long. I'm doing billing. But I said, Lord, I'm doing it unto you. I ain't doing it unto man. But God began to break me down, y'all. He began to show me some areas in my life that I became arrogant. He began to show me some areas in my life of control. He began to show me areas in my life of jealousy. God began to show me some underlying conditions that was there that he wanted to take out of me before he put me where I need to be. Come on, somebody need to say, take it out. Oh, I'm serious. Somebody need to say, take it out, God. No matter how it hurts, take it out. He said, you got to allow me. So when God started processing me, y'all, and I was going through the process, everything was hitting me. And I remember they come telling me, come on, we want to buy so-and-so something for Christmas. Can you support us? In my mind, I was saying, if you don't get out of my face, y'all done took my money, and you asking me to give this man some money for Christmas? Immediately when I thought it, the Lord said, bless those who curse you. Love those who hate you. Y'all, I pulled that money out so quick. I say, here you go. Why am I telling you all of these things? 
Because when you have a zeal for God, when you have a love, when you have a commitment, when you have an excitement for God, come on, somebody in a passion for God, come on, it consumes everything that the enemy want to do around you. Y'all, the more I got into the word and the word got into me, whatever they tried to do didn't faze me no more. I did what God told the people in Jeremiah 29. He said, be at peace where you are. (laughs) He said, be at peace where you are because this is where you're going to stay for a while. So I start being at peace. I start listening to teachings. I started even singing at my desk. And the devil used this girl and said, can you shut up over there? I said, I am so sorry. So I start singing amongst myself. And I started loving something that I hated before. Because I recognize it ain't about me. It's all about him. And it's what you want to do to me here in this place. God, though I was put in prison, though I was put, what, in the pit, now I'm in prison. God, you're taking me to the palace. So, God, I can wait until you do what you need to do in me. So this is why I'm saying the first thing is doing it unto God and not unto man. Everything you do need to be done unto him, not unto man. That's the first thing. If you're doing it unto man to get praise from man, you need to quit doing it. Anything that you do, paying your tithes or whatever, should be done unto God. Not me, not my husband. It should be done unto God because you know you're doing what God tells you to do. Do what the word of God tells you to do and you will fall in love with it. It will become so much a part of you. Nobody don't have to tell you what to do. Because if you in your word, you already know what to do. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let me remind y'all of this. I'm pretty sure everybody got health insurance. Before anybody go to a doctor, before anybody go to emergency rooms. Some people want to avoid emergency rooms because your deductible is high. If you go to emergency room, you will pray to God longer before you go to emergency room. Because you don't want to pay that money, not unless you have to, right? You know your benefits. Is that not right? The more you look at your benefits and the less you know you have to pay, the more joy spring up in you, don't it? Springing up is springing up in my soul. Because you know your benefits, right? And you know what your benefits is before you go into the doctor's office, before you go in the emergency room. You know where you need to be because of your benefits. Life insurance policies. I'm pretty sure people got life insurance policies. You know, if something happened to you, you know people got something that they can use to bury you with, right? You're excited about your benefits, right? You can brag. You can boast on your benefits. Let me ask you something. Are you excited about the benefits you have for God? Are you excited knowing that the benefits you have, they were already bought and paid for? You didn't have to do nothing but accept what he has done. Do you know your benefits? Your benefit says by Jesus Christ, you are already healed you ain't waiting on your body to stop hurting you ain't waiting on nothing because you know what you already have and you can pull it out anytime you want to pull it out and the price has been paid do you know your mm, you should be excited about your benefits so see when you're doing things unto god and not unto man you're not being a hypocrite we need to quit being hypocrites in the church We need to quit saying, I'll put it this way. Let me use Athea back there, for instance, with the sound room. Athea and Gloria, when they enter that sound room, 
they should have an excitement. I heard somebody say, mm. I ain't hear Thea say nothing. I ain't hear Gloria say nothing. They should have such an excitement when they enter that sound room. Why? Because, Lord, what we do, we're doing unto you so the word can be heard. Kim back there and Joe and Carlos, when they're entering the video room, they should say, oh, I'm so excited for what God is going to bring forth today. You should have that enthusiasm. You should have that excitement. You should have that love for what you're doing. You shouldn't come in here and say, who touched them mics again? I'm tired of this foolishness and this monkey business around here. Who do they think I, you know, I'm just acting. Who do they think I am? I just be glad when we start and when we end. I can just take them up and clean them again. That ain't God. Sunday school teachers shouldn't come in here and say, I don't know why she got to listen to a song before it's played. I don't know why I have to be here, be the next one in line when somebody else is teaching. I don't know why that's a bunch of foolishness. Where you find that in the word of God? She done gone too far putting us under the law and in bondage. I don't know why we got to do all this crazy mess. Why can't I just go in there and teach? Why I got to hit a button to be recorded for? All this foolishness. Why can't I just come up there and do like I want? Where's the excitement? Who want to hear you this morning? Who want to hear what you got to say and you doing all of that grumbling and complaining? Don't let Athea ask you, did you press the button? Why I got to press a button? In your mind, not out your mouth. It's in your heart. Don't make no sense pressing the button anyway. That's probably why I missed the button. Shouldn't have no recorder. But if you want somebody to listen to you, you ask for a CD so you can go listen. Somebody can listen. See, where's the commitment? Where's the enthusiasm when it comes to the things of God? You should be excited. If, if somebody asks you to clean a toilet, you should be so excited because you're cleaning it unto the Lord. And when somebody go in the bathroom, they fall out and they ain't sick. And they're wondering why. Because while you're cleaning the toilet, you're so excited. You're giving God glory and you're singing unto him a new song that has come out of your heart while you're cleaning the toilet. And people go in there and they say, I find so much peace in here for some reason. It's because you bringing the glory of God in the bathroom. When you're standing at the door and you're an usher, you should be excited. That people are coming into fellowship. They're coming in to get the word of God. You should be so excited. There should be an enthusiasm. Not at the door saying. Not that they do this. There should be an excitement. When it comes to the things of God. Come on, you don't just give people anything to say you've done something. Anything you do is supposed to be from the heart. If it's not from the heart, you don't need to do it. Come on, when it comes to God, he should be first before your job. Everything that you do is supposed to be done unto the Lord. And when you do it unto the Lord, he's being glorified. It ain't about you. 
It's about him. And when you make it about him, guess what? People are going to see him and not you. God is going to really be blessing it. When you're out trying to do it, it seems like you're running around and ain't nothing happening the way you want it to happen. Lord, I thank you for blessing this mess. Let's look at Joshua 14, verse 11 through verse 14. This is dealing with Caleb. And you know, Caleb was one of the spies that was sent out to spy out the promised land, right? Caleb and Joshua, they come back with a good report. This is what Caleb was saying. This was years later. Joshua 14, 11 through 14. I'm still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. And I'm just as ready to fight now as I was then. My strength then is like my strength now for the battle and for going out and coming in. Look at Caleb. Caleb was in his 80s. You cannot tell me that God won't sustain you even when you get up in age. God will keep you. I don't care how old you are. Caleb said, I'm just as strong now as I was then. Nobody better not say that's a lie because you're coming against God. This is what the, I'm going to read it again. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. Come on, he was younger back then. He said, I'm just as ready to fight now as I, come on somebody. Your zeal. Your excitement, just like Caleb had. I don't care how long you've been in ministry. You should still have an excitement for the things of God. You shouldn't be waiting on something new to happen. I'll I'll share this with you. When we was at Little House on the Prairie, God was getting people ready for where we were going. And when he get people ready for where he's going, God had me teaching on the Holy Spirit. He had me teaching, you know, getting people ready, dealing with um, being slain in the spirit, the whole nine yards. Y'all, that place was on fire. You hear me? Wasn't it, Kim? On fire. Judah didn't have nowhere to sit during that time. But God made a way. Anyway, this is the story. So when we got here, God took us from place to place. When we got here, I got word from somebody saying, it's not the same no more. We don't um, fall out. We don't do like we used to do no more. Things have changed. I said, yes, things have, because you're supposed to be grown up. God was getting you ready for where we're going so you can help somebody else. If you're still looking to fall out, then, hey, something's wrong. Once you grow up, you ain't looking for the same thing. See, there's a difference. People say, we ain't ain't falling out. So you think just because you fall out, you're where you need to be with God? No, you ain't. You can fall out 24-7 and get up the biggest devil you've ever been. You can run around the church every Sunday and still be a devil because you don't want to let go. As Miss Annie said, devil, you don't want to let go of what you're holding on to. It don't matter how many times you fall out. And just because you're falling out don't mean you're falling out up under his unction. So I'm telling you, when you grow up, you ain't looking for all that no more. You just is so excited about God just to sit there and be in the presence of God. The saying, God, your servant, hear you speak, Lord, through this word. Some of you, even in praise and worship, you just sit there. Won't he raise a finger? But you're ready to fall out. Won't even give God glory. But but you go somewhere else and you can cut the food. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get in the house of God and just sit there. Until you hear what you want to hear and then you can move. 
Come on, you're supposed to be moving for God even if you don't hear what you want to hear. If Judah ain't putting out like they need to put out, you still supposed to be putting out because you're supposed to be doing it before you come up in here. You still supposed to be clapping your hand. You still supposed to be raising your hand. You still supposed to be, come on somebody. You don't supposed to be waiting until you get in here to pop a beat. Come on, you're supposed to have an excitement if nobody don't sing. If you don't hear no drums, if you don't hear no keyboard, come on, you're hearing it from within. Come on. When you do it at home, you ain't waiting to come in here for nobody to do nothing. Come on, y'all, the church have changed. The church have become like the world. The church want to do what the world is doing. They want to hear loudness. They want to hear things that pump them up. If this word don't pump you up. And the reason why you can be so hard hearted. That the word is coming and your heart is so much like stone because of your bitterness. That when God is teaching you, you just don't hear it. Because you're so angry. You're so bitter. So, you got to have an enthusiasm. Caleb had it. Caleb say, I'm feeling the same way I was feeling when I went in to take that land. Give me this land right here. I can keep it. He said, anybody, come on this land. They got to deal with me. You know why he said that? Let's listen to why he said that. Then he says, so give me the mountain country the Lord promised me that day long ago. Back then you heard that the Anakites lived there and the cities were large and well protected. But listen at this. But now... With the Lord helping me, I will force drive them out just as the Lord said. Eighty-some-year-old man talking about forcing somebody out. He knew he wasn't going to do it. He knew God was going to do it. See, when you know him, when you know him, yo, you should be getting excited. When you pull out your word and you read what God is saying, you should have an excitement before you read it. Where's excitement? In the house of God, we wait on people to get us excited. We wait on people. We wait on somebody to prophesy in our life to get us excited. How long does that last? It lasts from the time you get in here to the time you get out of here. You got to go through a week. So you got to get excited for yourself through the word of God. I hear so many people talking about what the world is doing and then they get excited. How many got excited with the stimulus checks? I got a little bit of excitement because it was extra. I did. Thank you, Lord. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for me. Thank you, Lord. That's why I got excited. Thank you, Lord. And there's some more out there. Bring it on, Lord. Hallelujah. So we get excited, right? But after we spin it, we mad. We want some more excitement. Y'all, this is so funny. How many know when you get money and you ain't really enthused or, you know, it's just money? When me and my husband done our taxes, I guess my husband thought I was crazy. The lady looked at me and she said, well, we got to uh, put down this $4,200 that you got. I said, I ain't got no $4,200. He said, I ain't got no $4,200. What you talking about? When they get $4,200? I couldn't remember when I got $4,200. I couldn't. So the lady said, the stimulus money. I said, oh, but when we get it? I had to really pause for a minute. I didn't know. For real, y'all. I said, well, when do we get it? 
<laughs> so what am I saying? Money come, it's gone. You don't get it back, right? It's gone. But this word, it will keep you excited. You won't forget it once it get in your heart. Because it will always come before you. So what am I saying? We lose our zeal because we want to be accepted. We want people to look at us. And when they don't look at us, we don't want to do nothing for the church no more. Or when we feel like we're not appreciated no more, we don't want to do nothing for the church no more. We just give up because we think they don't appreciate me, so why should I do anything? Right? But Caleb, he was very enthused. So we see how Joshua blessed Caleb. That was in the next verse. Now, another thing that helps us lose our zeal is putting earthly things before we put God. When you put money before you put God, you lose your zeal. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says, We set our eyes not on what we see, but on what we cannot see. For because what we see will last only a short time is temporal. But what we cannot see will last forever. It's eternal. So we don't set our eyes on things of this earth. We keep our eyes on things above. And when we do this, guess what? When the things of this earth is gone, we still have enthusiasm. Just like when the gas prices go up, we still should be excited about knowing God is supplying. No matter how high the gas prices get, God shall supply. See, sometimes God tests you through things that happen. You are in a world, an evil world, y'all. Things are going to happen. But don't you know God is protecting you through those things that happen? God give you what you need to get through those things. Some of us are saying, God, Lord, the gas prices. God, I thank you that I can afford gas. I thank you that I can afford an $18 pack of chicken that used to be 3 and $4. Come on, somebody. Are y'all still buying chicken? Say that again. Are y'all still buying steak? Say that again. Are y'all still buying ribs? Are y'all still eating out? I'm going to hit you with something now. Are y'all still giving to God? First. And you ain't missed a beat. See, when you do what the word of God tell you to do, no matter what the world is doing, God is above that. When you cut God out of the equation, you get cut out the equation. You're going to be missing some things. This is why you always give to him first because you're putting him above high prices. And God always opened the windows of heaven. He said, no matter how high it get, you will have what you need. The Bible proves it. Even in famine, they had what they needed. So you can't be saying cut gas prices. They were in a famine. They still were in the famine. But God provided. See, sometimes we pray amiss. Because God know what he's doing. So we have to follow his lead and say, God, I always have more than enough to do what I need to do. Amen. So we putting other people and things before God will cause us not to have a zeal for God. Whatever you focus on the most, that's where your enthusiasm is. That's where your zeal is. That's where your love is. That's where your commitment is. So God is bringing in this house today. It's time for the zeal of God to come back in this house. 
And the only way it can come back in this house is putting him first and foremost, getting in your word, allowing the word to get into you. And the more you allow the word to get into you, no matter what people do, you will stick to what you're doing outside of them. Amen. And your zeal shouldn't only be for where your anointing is. It should be for all things that God is doing. We should be willing to participate in whatever God is doing for his kingdom. It shouldn't be based on your title. Let me say that again. Shouldn't be based on your title. Yes, I come up here every Sunday and Tuesday and teach you, but I shouldn't be one that don't want to help out with what's going on in this church because I think I'm above you. Every joint supplies. Anything that's happening at Miracle Temple, I should want to be a part of. I should not have to put something before that. Because we're one. Right? That's a zeal. That's a commitment. That's a love. That's a passion that I have for God. The zeal of God has left the house of God. And I want to ask you, what are you going to do about it? Come on, give God a hand clap of praise. God is good and his mercy endureth what? Forever and ever. Could we have our announcements at this time?